time for the November 18th, 2022 edition of Weekly Signal's Weekly Review. Personal recollection of the last 168 hours of history broadcasting on Push Button Phone Day from the University of California at Irvine on KUCI 88.9 FM. I'm Nathan Callahan. And I'm Mike Caspar. And, as always, because he's better looking than we are, Mahler, the fake news dog. Good morning, Mahler. Same to you. Today, we'll be talking about cows on cannabis, Coca-Cola Cop 27, Larry David's FTX, Ancient Truth, and more. But first, do you remember your uh, first push-button phone? You know, they had the rotary dials. I do remember the transition, and it was a significant one. Yeah. Because you could get eight, seven numbers in, or six or seven numbers in, and your finger would slip out of the old in the old rotary, in the rotary phone, yeah. and you'd have to start over. You'd have to start over because it wouldn't because go, your because finger would get stuck, and then it would it, it would stop coming back. The the idea and, of the rotary phone yeah. was it had to go complete the the transaction, if you yeah. will. It had to go all the way to over. this to this little metal thing that stopped yeah, yeah. your finger. Yeah. If you didn't make it all the way, then it would would be like a five instead of a six, as yeah. far as the phone was concerned, and then you had to start over. And I think it read the number when it was coming back. Interesting. And I, I used to sit there with the rotary dial. I used to like. Yeah. Twist it with my hand back and forth just ah, to have fun with it. Yeah. Yeah. Wow. Okay. And make those kind of noises where the push button, all of a sudden it was going boop, 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 boop. Yeah. So and, different tones yeah. were. Were the numbers. Were, yeah. Were the numbers. Uh, yeah. Wow. I still have uh, some uh, push button phones. Yeah. In fact, wait, I have uh, some uh, rotary dial phones okay, too. Okay. Yeah. Sell those to a props, prop company somewhere. We might. Buy. Why do you always want to monetize? Because I like my I'm, rotary I'm dial phones. I'm very poor. I don't have any money. So you I want can, my rotary dial phones? Well, if I can sell them to a prop company, yeah, I do. So what do you plan on doing on push button phone day? Pushing some buttons. Yeah. I mean, I, I don't have the push button phone, but I'm gonna in lieu of. That's a no brainer. I could like this uh, this soundboard right in yeah. front of me. I could just start pushing buttons all day long. And curiously, the yeah. buttons on the soundboard are. Almost exactly the size yeah. of the buttons on a push button phone. Yeah, yeah. In fact, we ought to replace all these buttons with push button with phones. Little, yeah, yeah, with yeah. little letters and yeah, a number yeah. underneath yeah. it. That was the cool thing. Yeah, each one of the little push buttons had like S T U V. Yeah. A B C. Yeah. C D. You know, whatever. Poplar three one two one two. Yes. That was my uh, <laughs> number. Poplar. Poplar. Now that's a poplar a, tree. Yeah. Sixty years ago today. On November 18th, 1963... Marlon Brando was born. ...push-button phones were first introduced to the public. They started them off in Pennsylvania. Yeah. And then they gradually took over the world. The older rotary dial phones were gradually replaced by this fancy new technology designed by Henry Dreyfus. Henry Dreyfus. Yeah. He's known for designing some of the most iconic devices found in American homes and offices in the 20th century, including the Western Electric Model 500 telephone. That's the classic rotary dial. Yeah. You'd recognize that yeah, one. It absolutely. has those nice broad shoulders on its receiver. What about pickups. the Princess phone? Who, de- who designed that? That was uh, Mrs. Henry Dreyfus. Oh, there you yeah. go. That makes sense. That's a little inside telephone joke. Yeah, there. that is. You really have to be in The West Clock's what? Big Ben alarm clock. He designed that, okay. which is a classic. Uh, it's about, say, five inches of a diameter 
silver cased yeah. phone with a white face on it. Yeah. Just a beautiful piece of machinery there. Yeah. The Honeywell round thermostat. Remember those on the wall, your thermostat, the little ra- yeah. round ones? He yeah. designed that. Okay. And of course, the push button phone. Yeah. So happy push button phone day to everyone. Mahler? Yeah. Anything, yeah. yeah. Happy push button phone day. You know, day. if Mahler had, oppo- you, Mahler had opposable thumbs, he'd really be into this. From live science, according to German researchers, dairy cows can learn how to dial a phone. Wow. This is going to be the all-phone news That's a news flash. Dairy cows fed industrial hemp produced milk with detectable levels of the cannabis compound THC. What's THC, Nathan? Oh, you know what THC is. Go ahead, tell us your list. It gives people a buzz. That's the buzz part. Yeah, that's the buzz part. It tends to make it a little bit more active if there's more THC in it. Peer review study. Conducted on Holstein cows in Berlin is one of the first major investigations of the use of industrial hemp as a potential supplement in animal feed. So we might be giving uh, Mahler some hemp you if mean, he likes it. You mean more? Grass. You mean more? Well, yeah. He hey, listen, I've seen him out back uh, munching, was, well, grazing yeah. like, along with the cows out there. Well, out the, the famous UCI uh, yeah. experimental, yeah. Cannabis courtyard. And yeah, not so experimental, mm-hmm. really. The researchers found no behavioral change in cows mm-hmm. given the entire hemp plant, which contained very low levels of THC. Only when fed solely the portions of the hemp plant with higher THC concentrations, mm-hmm. the bud, flowers and leaves, did the behavioral effects appear. Mm-hmm. Those effects included slower heart rate and respiration. Pronounced tongue play, <laughs> increased yawning, salivation, nasal secretion formation, and reddening of a portion of the eyes. All things, I, I get that all the time <laughs> when I'm uh, smoking pot, so, especially the pronounced tongue play. <laughs> Some animals displayed careful, occasionally unsteady gait, uh-huh, yeah. unusually long-standing and abnormal posture. Uh, was, you're, you're, yeah. going, you're, you're out in the, yeah. uh, the farmyard. I've been there. And you're looking out. Yeah. And there's Mike. Yeah, there I am. With abnormal St- posture. Yeah, I'm again. standing there with one Chewing leg. on pro- cannabis. Pronounced slanting of the shoulders in one direction. Now, yeah. here's an interesting thing. The cows also ate less. Yeah. That doesn't make sense to me. If you're eating, I guess maybe they just, their stomachs were full of the grass. Maybe that's why they ate less. I think they're a little distracted. Distracted? When you ingest cannabis. There's sort of a common thing that people eat a lot more when they're high. A little bit high. Uh, Yeah, when I was younger. Yeah, I think it's kind of attuned to your metabolism. If If you're younger, you tend to just eat anything in front of you. Yeah. I don't really get hungry like I would have many years ago. I don't, I just don't eat that much. Well, I thought it was curious. Yeah, they ate no, less, yeah. and they produced less milk, too, yeah. oh, which is probably yeah. a result of eating less, yeah, I would guess. Yeah, I guess so. And from Vice magazine. Vice. Vice. Palmer Lucky. You hear this guy? No. A defense contractor and the father of modern virtual reality has created a VR headset that will kill the user if they die in the game they're playing. Oh, my God. He did this to commemorate the anime Sword Art Online. Lucky is the founder of Oculus, a company he sold to Facebook in 2014 for $2 billion. 
This is the technology that Mark Zuckerberg rebranded as the foundation for Meta. Yeah. And Oculus. So, yeah. Yeah. Lucky's killer headset looks like a MetaQuest Pro hooked up with three explosive charge modules that sit above the screen. In other words, the screen that you're looking at. So they're up there on your forehead. Mm-hmm. The charges are aimed directly at the user's forebrain, and should they go off, would obliterate the head of the user. Pumped-up graphics make a game look more real, but only the threat of serious consequences can make a game feel real to you and every other person in the game, Lucky said. These guys are effed up, don't you think? I I can't. I have a hard time believing this is a true story. Pumped-up graphics. Pumped-up graphics. You have to blow your own head off or have the threat of it to really feel into it. Yeah. I can't. This has got to be some. It's a publicity stunt, right? Well, his whole life is a publicity yeah, stunt. Yeah, that's that's what it sounds like. You know what I say? What do you say? I say I hope his life has no pumped-up graphics ever again. I agree. If this news makes you want to smoke a joint with a cow, may I recommend a donation to KUCI instead? Just go to KUCI.org. Your generous donation is how we stay on air. Commercial free, free form, free speech radio, KUCI 88.9 FM. From Reason to be Cheerful. That's Brian Eno's paper there. (laughs) Brian Eno. What did he do lately? He had some sort of ridiculous... Article in uh, New York Times, I think. He was doing something there. You know Brian Eno. I absolutely know Brian Eno, by the way. I saw a documentary recently about Stuart Brand, and he and Stuart were were creating a a doomsday clock Uh in a a, uh, hole in Texas that would only ring once every, I think, a thousand years or something. Yeah, in this article, he was coming up with a definition of art. I thought it was kind of flaccid. From reasons to be cheerful, the French government mandated that every parking lot with more than 80 vehicle spaces must be covered with solar panels. Just like you want, Mike. Mm -hmm. The move is part of President Emmanuel Macron's plan to increase solar power generations by a factor of 10 and double land-based wind energy. Mm -hmm. The impact could be enormous. The government expects the mandate to generate enough energy and power to power millions of homes, the equivalent of running 10 nuclear reactors. Mm -hmm. Owners of parking lots with more than 400 spaces would have three years to comply, while owners of lots with 80 to 400 spaces would have five years. So if you have a whole ton of spaces, you have less time to comply because they figure you're making more money. Mm -hmm. And you have a smaller... Thing. You got five years. The measure now heads to the National Assembly for final approval there in France. Meanwhile, Disneyland Paris is building a massive solar canopy on its main parking lot, which has 11,200 spaces. When completed, the project will be one of the largest solar canopies in Europe, comprising 82,000 solar panels. This it'll, is great news. It'll supply enough electricity to power a city of more than 17,000 people. Yeah. 
As part of its solar build-out, France is also weighing measures to build solar installations on vacant lots next to highways and railways. Right. We had this discussion a few months ago about yeah. there's no reason in the world why most of the parking lots that I'm aware of couldn't have solar panels over them, on a, built up over them. There's, and it's a great resource, and it's, it's an opportunity. Except when we don't drive cars anymore. Except for when, well, okay, <laughs> We'll use no, and, and then we have a nice little garage. We keep our cars cooler so we don't need to use the air conditioning so much on our cars. Right. Right. I'm talking about major parking facilities. As major parking like, facilities. Like a stadium. A stadium. Yeah. I'm thinking the stadiums are a bad deal. Many parking lots change their f- traffic flow. Okay. And okay. Costco. Oh, huh? I mean, it's Costco or Ikea or something yeah, like yeah, that. Yeah, like that. yeah, like yeah. that. But, but a lot of places yeah. like Dodger Stadium. Right. People are crisscrossing their parking lot to get to a space. It doesn't matter where the where yeah. the uh, spaces are, yeah. and uh, they change the route many times. Anywho, from Grist, once a year, delegates from almost 200 countries gather to figure out ways to keep the climate crisis from spiraling out of control. This time around, they meant in Sharm el-Sheikh, Egypt, for COP27. Mm-hmm. Brought to you by the largest plastic producer in the world, Coca-Cola. <laughs> That's what was going on. While Coca-Cola is considered a lower-tier sponsor than the conference's partners, which include Microsoft, IBM, and Bloomberg, Coca-Cola's role has earned an exceptionally large amount of criticism. Nearly 240,000 people signed a petition for the Egyptian government-led conference to drop the partnership with Coca-Cola a sugar water company that makes roughly 4,000 plastic bottles from oil every second. Oh, my God. Yeah. Meanwhile, despite talking about fixing climate change more than ever, all major oil companies are on track to increase oil production by 2026. Yeah. By the way, 81% of the energy generated in the world today is fossil fuel. After all of the talk, after all of the us patting ourselves on the back uh-huh. about how renewables are coming into their own, this, that, and the other thing, 81% of the world's power comes from fossil. And to illustrate that in a very depressing way, uh-huh. Norway is about to open or is has already opened the largest wind farm in the world. Uh-huh. It's, it's out in the ocean. It's uh, out yeah. in the Bering. I saw it out there. And you know Not what, from here, but yeah, yeah. I saw a picture of it. And you know what its purpose is? To power the uh, oil the production. Oil production. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> yeah. I mean, if there was, if there's one project you want to point to and say, we're doomed, and the Norwegians of all people are the ones doing it. Yeah. We have the largest ocean-based wind farm, and it is powering oil production in yeah. Norway. Thank you. Well, I understand what they're doing. It's kind of a hybrid project. Yes. Yeah. yeah. yeah I get that. I get it's better than using fossil fuel to power their fossil uh-huh. fuel industry. But nonetheless, it's, a, it's emblematic of where we are in the world. In a transition. Yeah. Okay. There you go. That's an optimistic way of saying it. Well, it's an uh, accurate way of putting it. Okay. At this point in time, do you want to stop fossil fuels? Uh, no, but I think we could make a much quicker transition than we are doing now. I don't. Well, I, I mean, words are one thing. No, no I mean, actually we could, uh, working with other people who disagree with you and trying to move forward on that or another. Well, I agree. No. If ifs and buts were candy and nuts, 
We'd all have a Merry Christmas. Well, I don't know. I'm not exactly sure what you're saying. Do, am I saying that if I had the power? I don't. No, but, but I'm, I'm, saying, I'm saying that given the, the human condition, yeah. we're doomed to go this way. We wow. put ourselves so deep in fossil fuels that to stop them uh, would be uh, catastrophic for us. Not because we would lose the power, but because uh, our uh, psyches would uh, lead us into war if we stop fossil fuel. I wouldn't argue that because, yes, that is a, a hypothetical. I'm saying what I'm saying is. is so you that, think they would just go, OK, uh, what I'm saying. And that is that we have been led to believe that we're making progress uh, in moving yeah. towards fossil fuels. Well, we are to the not not enough to satisfy. Uh, no, but if you look the, and see the greenwashing but, that goes on in our yeah. in our political environment, you would think that we were much further along in the development and deployment of, of renewables. And in fact, we're not. And well, in fact, if you just look outside and look at the room we're standing in. Right. But this is the political environment we live in. I'm not, yes, I can look yeah. outside and tell that. But the political class is telling us something that's untrue and people believe it to be true. Uh-huh. And aren't pushing. They don't look outside. Yeah. OK. Oh. All right. <laughs> well, I mean, isn't it? Well, that's part of it. But yeah. I don't I, I would say it's much more um, deliberate. It's much more deceptive and deceitful than what you're portraying it as as something that what well, has to do with self-preservation okay. or and the yeah. standards that these people have set for themselves yeah. okay. which are bs but that's another story mm-hmm. as long as we're on the subject mm-hmm. uh have you ever been to the la brea tar pits yes yeah as a, a school trip uh you know that's the only time you've been there i've driven by it many times oh, i'm not yeah. actually taken i've never dove in from the new york times as los angeles's la brea tar pits just by the way you know about the story about the la brea tar pits please explain to the people who when you know. say the la brea tar pits you're saying the the tartar oh, pits right, right. yeah <laughs> la brea meaning the tar gotcha the tar tar pits tar pits and the la brea tar pits the, but the but tartar pits nathan what makes them so significant well uh, its leaders hope to do uh, more to engage the public and educate visitors about the realities of climate change. Built around a group of ancient asphalt lakes that trapped and preserved over 600 species, the museum has more Ice Age fossils than any other institution, and so much sticky stuff remains that even today birds and cats can still get caught in the tar. God, that's awful. Well, I mean... It, just... But there's more to the story. Okay. Research shows that the end of the Ice Age saw conditions that mirror today's trends. Extreme heat, drought, and fires, which drastically changed the habitat and killed off a lot of large animals. Mm -hmm. The tree die-off and changes in vegetation that occurred during the ancient drought is a big warning about our current drought due to the changing world climate environment. That's part of the new La Brea Tar Pits story. The museum plans to tell now that they're going through the renovation. Well, they should have a La Brea tar pits in waiting. Like a, they should carve out a section. For us. Yeah, that's not yet tar pits. Uh-huh. And this is, oh, we, and just, then, we, we bring the children there. And, yeah. And, and then we get them yeah. stuck in that. Because yeah. they're light or weight. They wouldn't be able to pull themselves out of the tar. No, no. They get stuck in the current tar. Yeah. And then gradually... They will be fossil fuels yeah. for future generations. And they should have big signs with arrows pointing down to the here. tar pits. Your future here. Your future here. or Your, your uh, future. 
Be a part of the future (laughs) fuel extraction economy. Take the dive. Be a part of the future. Yeah. Yeah. You're listening to KUCI 88.9 FM, Irvine, California. Visit us on the web at KUCI.org, on Facebook at Facebook.com slash KUCI 88.9, on our Tumblr blog at KUCIRadio.tumblr.com, and on Twitter at Instagram at KUCIFM. Yeah. From the New Republic. Mm-hmm. Nearly 50,000 graduate students, postdocs, and lab workers went on strike at all 10 University of California campuses. That's where we're standing right now. We are now, standing here. On one of those campuses, the largest strike of 2020 and the biggest academic strike in U.S. history. It may prove a turning point in the unionization of the college-educated working class. I'm holding up my... Hand my fist in solidarity. He is. Wow, what a symbol. What a I'm brave shuddering. What a brave statement I've just made. As recently as the nineteen seventies, tenure and tenure track faculty occupied the majority of all university teaching positions. Today they're well under one third with the slack taken up by graduate students and adjuncts. Yep. Between 2012 and 2020, the number of graduate students who belonged to a union increased by about a third. Before 2016, graduate students at private universities were barred from unionizing by the National Labor Relations Board. 2016 changed that, but the Trump administration tried and failed to reinstate the union ban. Grad students at public universities were able to unionize before 2016, but only in states that allowed it, which remains the case. In California, graduate students unionized in 1999. The California dispute dispute is mainly about wages. The strikers are represented by four unions, all units of the UAW, the United Auto Workers. And their pay scales differ according to job category, of course. But graduate teaching assistants, for example, are paid an average of $24,000 or a year or $3,750 below the federal, federal poverty level for a family of four. Yeah. Wow. UC management is offering 25680 That's their counteroffer. Yeah, 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 yeah. Which will still leave them 2070 below the federal poverty yeah, line. right, right. The teaching assistants are demanding demanding roughly twice UC's offer. A great irony of the strike is that in the modern university, a graduate student walkout is much more disruptive than a tenured faculty walkout could ever be because there's a hell of a lot more of them now. That's right. So it's kind of a poetic justice, if you will. They they try to push their work off on the uh, graduate students. I remember when I was at the university. Uh Uh-huh. And this was an issue then. I re- it's been around for decades uh-huh. in terms of the disparity in pay. Well, I actually had real tenured professors teach me. Yeah. that's Wow. Yeah. Imagine that. Wow. Detenuring UC's teaching faculty saved money, but it also left UC extremely vulnerable to labor disruption. A principal issue in the strike is housing affordability. And here's the another crappy thing about the universities. Universities are what's known in the real estate business as opportunity hubs, meaning their presence jacks up real estate prices. 
Cash-strapped universities then have increasingly turned this problem into an opportunity by adding real estate, local real estate, to their portfolios. So they're making more money, and yet they're refusing to boost the salaries of the people who are actually, actually providing the education. That feeds ravenous university coffers, but at the cost of jacking local housing costs up further, making it that much harder for grad students to find affordable housing. And all the BS about going to social ecology or whoever else and, and learning about the homeless. Mm-hmm. Yeah. When, when the some, university yeah. that they're actually studying this at and teaching this at is causing part of that homelessness. Yeah. There's been a significant shift in the perception of labor over the last 15 or 20 years, and I attribute some of that to the work that's been done by by people like Bernie Sanders and others who have made income inequality such a huge issue. And this is certainly playing out. Uh, the polling on, on unions has gone up to way over 60% of the country now supports organized labor. Mm-hmm. So things are happening in that regard, but... This, and that's an, the other thing is universities, the mission of universities has changed so dramatically over the next, last few years mm-hmm. that this is part and parcel to that, to that problem. The, the mission of universities. Yeah, in terms of ed- providing education as to being able to provide research opportunities for big business. Mm-hmm. That's a lot of the mission of, of universities now is to provide an environment that it allows um, corporations and, and large moneyed interests to come in use the university to do the research and reap the profits from yeah. those from that research that's changed the dynamic significantly it also i think makes uh, makes people very staid in what it is they're studying to be they don't go in for an education they go in for a specific goal in mm-hmm. mind yeah. which in one in a lot of cases that's great but to have that be the sole aim of the university i think is destructive and it makes for a population of graduates that aren't as quick on their feet to move around. They're specialists. And more on university life from Wong Ket. Oh, you know Wong Ket. I know Wong Ket. Their good friend, Rebecca Schoencroft's... Uh, Commie girl. Commie girl when she worked for the Orange County Weekly. Yeah, yeah, that's her outfit there. Good on her. Wong Ket. Wong Ket. From an article entitled, Look at these twerps who ruin student loan forgiveness for everybody. That's the name of the article. Look at these twerps. Under President Joe Biden's student loan forgiveness plan, plan, Alexander Taylor would have been entitled to $10,000. But because he did not receive Pell Grants, he was not eligible for another $10,000 knocked off. Okay. Myra Brown wasn't eligible for a student loan forgiveness because her loans were commercially held and not, were commercially held and not in default. Right. The lead plaintiff in the case that allowed a judge to strike down Biden's plan, Brown, is not opposed to loan forgiveness when the loans being forgiven are her own. Right. As the owner of a sign-making business, she was granted a $48,000 Payment Protection Act loan, of which $47,996 was forgiven. In other words, all but $4 was forgiven in April of this year. Now, with the help of the Job Creators Network, that's a conservative U.S. advocacy group founded by Bernie Marcus, the co-founder and former CEO of Home Depot. These two, 
and filed a lawsuit arguing that the debt relief program violated the Administrative uh, Procedures Act by not allowing for notice and comment. That's what their beef is. Although that's okay, given these circumstances, that they did not provide for a comment. Mm. So because these two did not have the opportunity to air their grievances over not getting the debt relief, they would have liked they sued to make sure no one else got any debt relief. Wow. They brought their suit to uh, Texas Judge Mark Pittman, a Trump appointee who ruled that the student loan relief program was illegal and blocked it from going into effect across the U.S. The <clears throat> Home Depot guy is a pretty big conservative, oh, yeah. radical Republican, mm-hmm. right? A MAGA Republican. He was a Trumpster. Yeah. Trumpster, yeah. yeah. By, the way, on. by the way, for some context here, and I don't know if Nathan's going to provide this, but that is that student debt is not dischargeable. It stays with you for the rest of your life. Almost any other debt that you can name, medical, financial, you, you yeah. default on your you can't, bankruptcy. You can't charge you a bankruptcy. cannot discharge your debt, a yeah. student debt. It was put into a bill at the last minute, and no one knows exactly who did it, but that in this bill and back in 1998 that essentially made it so that you cannot, and it's almost impossible, let's put it that way, under certain circumstances, which are very rare, can you discharge yeah. student debt. Well, so many of the people who are in debt now still have their original principal. Yeah. They've just been paying off interest for the last 10 or 15 years. Education. What's it good for? You know, this is the thing about mega Republicans, conservative, business-centric Republicans is every opportunity that is a publicly run institution becomes an opportunity for rapacious profiteering yeah. at the public expense, whether it be education or, or health care or whatever it is, whatever we in the Commonwealth put together becomes an opportunity yeah. for them to move in and turn it into a profit center and just screw so many people in the process. I think when the student loans first started, uh, they were looked at by a lot of the population as similar to GI loans. Yes. Which were very fair. Yes. Which were very low interest rates. Right. And they didn't compound. They just stayed where right. they were. You paid them off. Right. It was a fair loan. HUD, These are shysters they, doing they, this. Exactly. HUD, when GIs could come back and buy homes and they yeah. had a very affordable interest rate, all of those programs have been pirated, they have been dismantled and remantled as an opportunity for private business to make a lot of money. To be greedy. To be greedy. To tear the country down. That's right. In favor of an oligarchy. That's right. Usury is the word often used in the Bible, by the way. In the Bible? Bible. It's it's one. Let's think about this. And I'm not a religious scholar by any stretch. Wow. I thought you were. Well, I know some people think I'm so holy that that some people do think that. And that is the only time that Jesus ever got mad. Yeah. Was when he was mad at the money change. When he got mad at Bernie Marcus. (laughs) That's right. From Axios. FTX. A Bahamas-based cryptocurrency exchange founded in 2019 and at its peak in 2021 had over 1 million users and was the third largest crypto exchange by volume, froze users' ability to withdraw funds and with its approximately 130 affiliated companies declared bankruptcy. Sam Bankman-Fried, the founder and former CEO of FTX, who, was once, who once said in an interview, I'm very skeptical of books. 
This guy's a real piece of work here. I saw a few interviews with him, and he, he doesn't seem right. Anyway, he saw his net worth drop 94%, the largest wealth collapse ever recorded in a single day, although it's likely those numbers are useless. You know, the, the uh, whole thing about how much he's worth yeah. and the percent that he lost. Fried preferred to communicate with applications that auto-deleted, urging employees to do the same. Yeah. So he would communicate, and, and all the communication would be gone. So nobody can find any of the, the trail on this. FTX has no accounting department. Yeah. There are no appropriate disbursements processes. Payment requests were uh, approved via emoji over chats. In other words, FTX and its web of interconnected affiliates were run with zero governance or appropriate financial controls, which led to a collapse now crumbling the cryptoverse, which I say good riddance You to. know, I, I wish I had more empathy for these people who have lost, I think they've lost on paper a lot of money, uh -huh. but I say all of them can burn in hell Woo! for doing what, what we, for anybody, I, again, I'm not an expert in economics, I could have told you from the minute I heard about crypto and all this other stuff that ye, it is going to end up you know in a trail of tears meanwhile the nba's warriors and stephen seth curry have been listed as defendants in a class action lawsuit filed against fried and several celebrity endorsers of ftx crypto investors are <sighs> suing curry and other celebrities like larry david shaquille o'neal Tom Brady, David Ortiz, and Naomi Osaka for what they say was deceptively marketing FTX's crypto products. Curry and the others were specifically named and accused in the lawsuit of selling accounts to unsuspecting and unwitting retail consumers of the deceptive FTX platform. Wow. Like other crypto companies, FTX invested heavily in sports sponsorships, yeah. including partnerships and naming rights in professional basketball, baseball, and Formula One racing. Yeah. In 2021, FTX inked a reported $135 million 19-year deal with NBA's Miami Heat to rename the American Airlines Arena as FTX Arena. Now the Heat are getting out of that real quick. Well, They're how about the Staples Center, now the crypto, crypto yeah. center? Yeah, well... That, they haven't crashed yet. <laughs> Crypto.com hasn't yet. Yeah, okay. Major right. League Baseball struck a five-year deal in 2021 to name FTX as its official cryptocurrency exchange. Yeah, it just exposes all of these different facets of, of our capitalistic society. Yeah, exactly. Not to disparage capitalism. It's good in some ways. But when it gets to our size, which is a, a corporate welfare system... Yeah really is destructive. Now, this uh, Major League Baseball uh, partnership includes putting FTX patches on umpires' uniforms. I don't know if you saw that last year and during the I World Series. I didn't notice it, but okay. Even college sports has ties to FTX with the University of California, Berkeley, signing a $17.5 million 10-year naming rights partnership for the school's football stadium. And meanwhile, they're not willing to pay the people who are teaching their students a fair wage. Exactly right. And by the way, there is some irony in the Miami Heat uh, deal that you just mentioned because that, that was built on Amway money, uh -huh. which is a Ponzi scheme as well, right? Yep. So, yep. you know, a, a curse on both of their houses.
or that house anyway. And besides ECI and being right here locally, Los Angeles Angels superstar Soshi Otani became the FTX's global ambassador uh-huh. in return for a stake in the company. And now he's involved in all this, too. Well, it hurts my heart to hear some of the people you mentioned in that yeah. story. but uh, Well, you they know. had no good sense. When I saw Larry David doing that ad I on the Super Bowl for FTX, I was thinking, what on earth? I know. Come on, guy. <laughs> you know, you're, you're supposed to have some brains. Yeah. You're, you're a great comedian with a good sense of, uh, of proportion, I think. And yet you're doing that. Yeah, I agree. I, I saw the same thing and I felt the same way. From the New York Times, for more than two years, Tesla has been testing a technology it calls full self-driving with a limited number of car owners across the country, including Chuck Cook, a 53-year-old airline pilot. Tesla has long offered a driver assistance system called Autopilot, which can steer, brake, and accelerate on highways. But full self-driving is an effort to extend this technology beyond highways and onto city streets. This summer, Elon Musk, the company's chief executive, said the system would be available in more than a million cars by the end of this year. In other words, now. In August, staff members of the New York Times spent a day driving around with Cook and his Tesla to assess the progress of this experimental technology. The most telling moment came when, after navigating heavy traffic on a four-lane road, a Tesla took a right turn onto a short street beside a small motel. After driving around the motel, the car almost immediately made the same mistake, jerking into the lot this time. Guided by Tesla's full self-driving technology, the car drove along a river and over a bridge before reaching an intersection lined with trees. Then it turned left toward an unmarked road, where it suddenly changed course, turning sharply right and heading the wrong way down a one-way street. So what could go wrong? Yeah, and this is something that it's in a million said cars. was going to be ready okay. right now. Right now, yeah. Yeah, it's, it's ready to be uploaded in a million cars. Go for it. Yeah. yeah. And speaking of auto safety from Carbuzz magazine, occupants of a car seldom have their seatbelts in the correct position like crash test chest dummies do uh-huh. due to gravity poor posture and the vibration of a car the lap belt rides up above the pelvis of a passenger within a few miles while this might not seem like a problem in the event of a crash smaller occupants can occupants can easily slip underneath the belt in which in uh, a term uh, which is known as submarining <laughs> is what it's called Yeah, even those that don't slide all the way through can suffer, as the belt tightening over a soft stomach can cause internal organ damage at speeds as low as 30 miles per hour. But now Hyundai and Kia have found a way to fix this problem with a new seat-mounted airbag for your crotch. The airbag deploys from the seat base between your thighs, locking you in place in the event of an accident. Oh, that sounds sweet. Yeah, you like that? Oh, yeah. Yeah. Now, what would it do to a dog? Because they have all those dog safety belts now. Yeah. Yeah. You got to wonder about that. It punched the dog in the face, probably. (laughs) I don't know. You know, a balloon that comes out of the seat in your crotch area. (sighs) You know, we have had kind of a lively discussion today. I believe so. Were you wearing your uh, good luck charm? I t- yeah, yeah. Uh, yeah, yeah. Where, where do you, is it, you call it your, what, your, your good luck? Well, 
It's an amulet. Amulet? Yeah, it's my amulet. Yeah. Yeah. And uh, I keep it in a very, very <laughs> private place, and uh-huh. I'd rather not get into any wow. uh, disclosing where that might be. So. All right. And finally, from BBC News. Things are unsettled in the house of Glücksburg. Princess Martha Louise, the 51-year-old daughter of King Harold and Queen Sonia of Norway, got engaged in June to Durek Verret, an American celebrity shaman and the inventor of the Spirit Optimizer, a healing amulet that sells on his website for $222. But last week, the royal family had enough of the princess, the shaman, and his Spirit Optimizer— The Norwegian royals said Princess Martha can keep her title, but she and her husband will not indicate an association with the royal house of Norway in their social media channels. Apparently, the shaman had previously said that cancer was a choice and had defined himself as a hybrid species of reptilian and Andromeda. When he got COVID, he said it was because he was a workaholic, constantly there for the people and giving, giving, giving. So to cure his COVID, he used his white light bringer, amulet, to reveal the ancient truth to get the poisons out of my system, he said. In response, the Norwegian newspaper Netavisen commissioned scientists in Oslo to examine Verret's amulets. <laughs> The scientist concluded the amulets consisted mainly of plastic with only one dye separating the light bringer from the ancient truth. <laughs> you can subscribe to the Weekly Signals Weekly Review podcast at weeklysignals.com. Weeklysignals.com. Subscribe now. <laughs> <laughs>